Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Susie Ahn. Each week, we bring in two great Chicago journalists to take you inside the biggest local and state stories from the last seven days. It's called the WBEZ Weekly News Roundup. This week on the Roundup, bad pandemic news locally. Illinois public health officials say another 196 people have died of COVID-19 complications as of Wednesday. Good pandemic news globally. This morning, the UK government started giving people the new coronavirus vaccine from Pfizer. Fighting fake news about the vaccine. I encourage people to learn for themselves from medical research experts about the vaccine and be able to discern the myths from truths. And a continued push to do the things we need to do to keep ourselves and others safe. So mask up, keep your distance, and plan smaller, more intimate holidays. It's the best thing that we can do to show each other that we care during this unusual holiday season. Joining me this week and around the virtual table is WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon. Thanks for having me. And WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Welcome, Dave. Susie, good afternoon. So let's start with the latest on COVID-19 in our region. Yesterday, Illinois reported 11,101 new cases and 196 additional deaths. Heather, that's the highest number of cases in more than a week. What's the latest? Well, the latest is is that Thanksgiving was exactly 15 days ago, and we are beginning to see the much feared, much warned about post-Thanksgiving surge in cases. It is also happening in Chicago, where cases are up about 30% since Thanksgiving, and it is really making a lot of people sick, but it is also stretching the city's hospitals uh, past their normal capacity. There's only about 18% of ICU beds that are still available, which is a very, very low Mm. amount for Chicago hospitals. Yeah. Well, an FDA advisory panel has endorsed widespread use of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine, putting us one step closer to the end of the pandemic. I know that's still kind of far away. But Dave, what does this mean for Chicago and Illinois? We know roughly that, that the first shipment is going to be a little over 100,000 dosages. And what the plan is, is to get these things as quickly as possible to um, healthcare workers and to residents of long-term care facilities and the staff there, because that those, of course, have been the places that have been hotbeds for, for COVID since the pandemic broke out. But what we know is that there aren't enough shots right now to cover everybody in this first wave. So it's going to be a process. This week, Mayor Lori Lightfoot laid out her plans for vaccine distribution. Uh, The first batch will go to the most at-risk healthcare workers. But as you mentioned, Dave, there aren't enough doses to go around. Let's take a listen. So while we're excited and prepared about the doses of vaccines that we expect to be receiving between now and the end of the year, we are going to only be able to immunize a fraction of the frontline workers that are going to need it over time. Heather, give us more details on the city's distribution plan. 
the vaccine, assuming that it ships um, in the next couple of days, could make it to Chicago and be ready for distribution by late next week. Citywide, there are about 400,000 healthcare workers. Mm. So as you can imagine, 23,000 doses isn't going to go very far. And really, the best case scenario for December is that the city could get somewhere between 100,000 and 150,000 vaccine doses. That, you know, is maybe a quarter of the city's healthcare workers. So once the healthcare workers are fully immunized, then the shots will be expanded to residents of long-term care facilities. There are 128 of those in Chicago. Um, and that process will be basically run through an agreement with the federal government, Walgreens, and CVS. So that's as much of the plan we have right now. Uh, it will be up to, to the FDA to determine sort of what happens next. Well, I, I want to turn to the communities. This week on WBEZ, we reported on um, some of that reluctance in communities of color toward getting vaccinated for COVID. Dave, what is the state doing to promote the safety of the vaccine? Well, I mean, we heard Dr. Ngazi Aziki, the state public health director, talking about this point. I mean, I know it's a great fear in the Pritzker administration to getting the, the proper messaging out to particularly African-American uh, residents in the city and the state. And what, you know, one of the points that Dr. Aziki was, was making was that there's just sort of this longstanding skepticism that many African-Americans have toward public health. You know, she made a historic reference when she talked about you know, uh, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, which, you know, occurred, you know, beginning back in the 1930s through the 1970s, where, where, where black men were enrolled in a federal study on, on uh, syphilis. And, and during the, the process there, uh, they were denied treatment. And so they were suffering with the symptoms of this for a long time. It, it resulted in a presidential apology and payments from the government to people in this study and to, to their descendants. And, and she pointed to that and said, look, that shows that African-Americans especially have every right to be skeptical of how public health has treated them in the past. And so with 30 percent of the population African-American here in the city, it's a big group that we're talking about. And so they, they're taking it seriously. Public health officials warned us, of course, about traveling and gathering over Thanksgiving. And uh, now here's what reporters are saying. The first signs of a post-Thanksgiving surge in coronavirus cases are beginning to show up in data released by states across the country in a troubling prelude of what may become the deadliest month of the pandemic so far. Now, Heather, uh, yesterday was the first night of Hanukkah. Christmas and other holidays are just around the corner. How is the city preparing for these possible spikes? Well, you know, what's interesting is that there's not a whole lot more that the city or the state could do besides another stay-at-home order. Um, you know, at least until December 16th, the city is under a stay-at-home advisory. Uh, suburban Cook County is at well. Indoor dining, indoor drinking has been suspended. And even though there's been some tentative progress in some regions of Illinois, I, I don't think that you're going to see those tier three restrictions lifted by the governor, even if those metrics are passed, because there's a concern that after Hanukkah, after Christmas, after New Year's, there's going to be a surge that could potentially overwhelm the healthcare system. I want to turn to the economic impact of COVID-19. Uh, more Americans applied for unemployment for the first time last week than at any point since September. Dave, how is the pandemic impacting the state's finances? Here's some, some interesting data that is starting to kind of emerge here. Like, you know, the two big drivers of revenue for the state are the state income tax and the state sales taxes. 
And and based on the budget that passed last spring, you know, income tax revenues actually are a little higher than expected, and so are state sales taxes. And that's that's a curious development given, as you mentioned, the you know the pain that people, especially in the hospitality industry, you know, bars, restaurants, hotels, are feeling by being out of work. So you know, on one level, revenues are not like in a free fall by the state, which is fortunate. Where the problem has kind of come into play is that when this budget passed last spring, there was an expectation that the state would go out and take advantage of a, of a federal program that allowed states to tap into a, a fund uh, that, that would enable borrowing. The state had, had imagined borrowing about $5 billion through this federal COVID relief fund, and they haven't done that yet. And then the other part of the, the problem here for the state in terms of, of the, the, the bean counting is that when the budget passed, they had an expectation that the graduated income tax would pass mm-hmm. and that there would be some revenues that would be coming into the state's coffers as a result of that. And, of course, that didn't happen. So those two things are really its kind of what they're trying to figure out right now, how to deal with. And they are looking toward Congress and, and the White House, hopefully, to give some sort of relief, additional relief to state and local governments in, in some kind of a future uh, COVID relief plan. That's WBEZ's Dave McKinney. Also with us is WTTW's Heather Sharon. And while stories around COVID-19 dominated the news again this week, there were plenty of other big stories. Illinois House Democrats are asking for party unity from their colleagues who vowed not to support Michael Madigan as House Speaker. Meanwhile, the Illinois National Guard is assisting the state's veterans' homes to try to stem the spread of COVID-19. This is just one example of how we are directing every available resource to our veterans community. The Chicago Teachers Union has released a list of their demands before they go back to the classroom. Okay, so here's something. There's a push by some aldermen to rename Lakeshore Drive. Heather, tell us more about this idea that was first floated last year. It is um, coming from Alderman David Moore and Alderman Sophia King. And Sophia King, along with Alderman Brendan Riley, were really the the folks who led the push to rename Congress Parkway for Ida B. Wells, Mm -hmm. the civil rights icon and the investigative journalist. What David Moore and Sophia King want is they have revised their proposal to rename all of Lakeshore Drive for John Baptiste Pointusabo to just the outer drive. And this is really an attempt to reduce the impact on the 12,000 residences along Lakeshore Drive so that there aren't as many people who have to get new driver's licenses or, you know, the post office has to change their mailing address. It's not clear when this could be approved. There was a hearing this morning, but the alderman took no vote. And the chairman of the Transportation Committee who controls this issue says that he is hopeful that they could take a vote by April. That seems like a thousand years from now, (laughs) given everything that we're going through. And there were a lot of people who support this renaming who were frustrated by the delay because it has been languishing for so long, even though it got new life amid sort of the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody. It comes at the same time that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has convened an advisory commission to look at sort of the city's public monuments, um, which do not include any statues of women or people of color. And that is something that she has vowed to address in sort of a holistic sort of sequenced approach. Um, But this Mm -hmm. has sort of sort of come up separate from that issue because it has been sort of something that's been a real sense of hurt for African Americans Mm -hmm. and Black people in Chicago because, um, you know, really all Jean-Baptiste Pointe-Sable has is a bust on the Riverwalk, which is very easily overlooked if if you don't know what you're 
you're searching for. Well, let's keep it in City Hall. Uh, this week, Alderman advanced a plan to fight gentrification in Chicago's neighborhoods. Heather, what can you tell us about that? So back in 2017, uh, under Mayor Rahm Emanuel, the city basically boosted requirements for affordable housing in three parts of the city that were facing a lot of gentrification pressure. So we're talking the Milwaukee corridor, the near north side, and the near west side. Now, those protections or those requirements are set to expire on December 31st. And at the same time, the city is engaged in sort of a wholesale reconsideration and rewrite of its affordable housing requirements ordinance. So while that work is going on, the city council advanced a measure to a full vote on Wednesday that would basically keep everything in place as it is right now for another six months, giving the city's Department of Housing a chance to finish that work and to present their proposal to the city council. But I think by any stretch of the imagination, these protections that, of course, date back to 2017 were not as successful as people had hoped. So the hope was that they would create a thousand new units Mm -hmm. of affordable housing for low and moderate income Chicagoans. It created about 322 units. So it's a really significant problem that the city is going to try to tackle uh, sometime in 2021. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I know that uh, WBEZ reporter Esther Yunji King um, reported this week that, you know, through census data, we see that Logan Square is a majority white the first time in 50 years. So it'll be interesting to see what shakes out here with um, with this proposal. Let's turn now to some state news. The Legislative Black Caucus has endorsed and battled House Speaker Michael Madigan's bid for re-election. The Speaker is facing growing pressure to step down from his leadership post in light of the ComEd bribery scandal. Dave, what's the latest there? January 13th is when the new General Assembly gets sworn in. And when the House convenes, the first thing they do is elect a Speaker. And so Madigan, he's made clear in spite of all of his problems with the ComEd scandal that you mentioned there. He's not been charged, but he's certainly been, uh, his name has come up an awful lot of times there in in association with this bribery scandal. He's made clear he wants to run again, and he's got one opponent, and and this, you know, he appeared in front of the the House Black Caucus Mm -hmm. last Saturday, and so it's sort of a significant boost to show that he has a core of support. There are 19 votes that that have committed against him. That leaves him about six votes shy of the 60 that he needs to, to get this through. So the numbers Right now, don't count, but like, you know, the old axiom in, in Springfield, never bet against the speaker. That would be kind of my advice in, as we move forward here. You know, this is going to come down to the wire, and there are plenty of scenarios where in spite of all of his problems, he could still wind up as speaker. Yeah, well, well, Heather, if Madigan doesn't have the votes, who does? And that is the fundamental question. Uh, Dave is 100% right. You cannot unseat somebody like Michael Madigan with nobody running against him. And I shouldn't say nobody. Uh, Representative Stephanie Kifowit from the Aurora area has announced. However, there's been no sort of surge of support behind her. And I think a lot of people are waiting to see whether somebody who has the ability to get to the 60 vote threshold will come forward. And the deadline really isn't until January 13th was the last date I saw scheduled, which means that in fine procrastinator form, there are a lot of people saying, well, if I don't have to decide right now, I won't decide. But I think it also raises the possibility that you'll have state lawmakers who said, look, I can no longer support Michael Madigan for speaker being put in this position where 
they might not really have anybody else to vote for. And I think that that is probably the nightmare scenario that a lot of people are are worried about right now. Yeah. Um, I want to quickly touch on another story. Dave, you reported on the firing of two top officials at the state-run LaSalle Veterans Home. At least 32 veterans have died there due to an explosive COVID-19 outbreak. How did that story unfold? The same way that, it, that this kind of story unfolds in, in nursing homes across Illinois. I mean, unfortunately, nursing homes have been ground zero in Illinois and the rest of the country for COVID-19. And the LaSalle Veterans Home is no exception. But what we know at LaSalle, the original roots of it date back to November 1st. And in that period of time, roughly six weeks since then, the number of cases that have just exploded there in both staff and, and residents has just made your head spin. I mean, it's, you know, there, there had been plenty of time in these state veteran homes, there are four of them, for Illinois to kind of prepare and do all of the good practices that are necessary to, to protect people as best you can. And what we know, I think this is a report that was released a couple of weeks ago, there was both, both a state and federal report, hand sanitizer that didn't have alcohol in it uh, and, and was deemed largely ineffective in fighting COVID-19 was spread throughout the uh, facility there in LaSalle. Yeah. So, you know, what we have seen is the first head uh, to roll at, as a result of this politically. Uh, Governor Pritzker has, uh, you know, as you mentioned, got rid of the uh, administrator of the home and then put the, the, the lead nursing official on administrative leave. And probably that person is on their way out. So, you know, this is a very sensitive issue. Don't forget that uh, when Governor Pritzker was running for governor, he made a big issue out of the Legionnaires' mm. outbreaks that killed uh, residents at the, at the uh, Quincy Veterans Home. Yeah. And so he, he has political sensitivities to this, and it's a thing to watch very closely. I want to quickly shift to Chicago Public Schools. The Chicago Teachers Union is taking legal steps to halt the return to in-person learning until certain terms are met. The CTU is demanding changes to both hybrid and remote learning testing and vaccination protocols and lower COVID-19 test positivity rates. Heather, is this possibly a precursor to a strike? Absolutely. Uh, There is no agreement right now between the Chicago Public Schools and the Chicago Teachers Union for anybody returned to class as scheduled, starting with preschool students and special education students on January 11th. The rest of elementary school students are supposed to start a hybrid plan on February 1st. And it's unclear whether that will happen because of the concerns by the union, which could trigger a strike, which would be the second (laughs) In as many years, if you can believe that. But I think it shows that just basically how tense things are between Mayor Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union. There is not a lot of love lost mm-hmm. there. And the teachers feel like they're fighting for the health and well-being of their members, while the mayor talks about it being an issue of equity, since Black and Latino students have certainly had a harder time yeah. dealing with remote learning. We, will, we are expected to get data on what what students want to return mm-hmm. to class next week, which will will be the next sort of step in this process. Right, well, we'll have to leave it there for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Dave, Heather, have a great weekend. And that's the WBEZ Weekly News Roundup. Watch your feed for two bonus podcasts this week. Tomorrow, you'll get to know Sasha Ann Simons. She'll be the new host for Reset starting Monday. And Sunday, the best weekly Q&A around the coronavirus with Dr. Mia Taramina. You won't want to miss either of those conversations, so check your podcast feeds early Saturday and Sunday mornings. 
I'm Susie On, and I've had a blast sitting in for the last few weeks on Reset. Thanks for being here with me. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.